Hey, what's up, guys? This is Ricky V. And today we're introducing a new podcast for you guys that is called The Age of Muscle. And this podcast is a collaboration between my good friend Nelson Montana, me, myself. Nelson's been in the game for quite a long time. I actually got started in the industry reading articles that Nelson would write on Testosterone Magazine. He's been an author and a writer for different publications, had his own books. He's really been one of these guys who's been around the industry for a long time. So when I had the opportunity to start this new podcast with him, I jumped at the chance. And basically, this podcast is called The Age of Muscle. And Nelson and I are going to be discussing just how to stay in shape until, you know, as we get older, muscle through the ages, love, relationships. So, hey, Nelson, how are you doing, buddy? Yo, Rick, what's going on? Good to be hey, here. Yeah, great, man. Great, man. So, yeah, today's our first episode. We're just getting started on this journey. I think we have a lot to offer people. Um, how are you doing today, man? What, what, what was your day like today? You just got back into, into NY from Florida. Is that correct? Uh, came in from Florida, came back uh, to the riots. So... <laughs> Just getting over the uh, the COVID, and now I'm dealing with riots. Some some crazy shit going on, but uh, I'm dealing. Yeah, it's definitely a weird time in the world today. You know, we the, we're in the middle of 2020, and uh, we've had COVID, and Ellie, the, the Pentagon finally admitted that there were uh, aliens in the skies, and now there's riots everywhere. Yeah, it's the first time that the world seems like we're living in a movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, one of the things we're going to do, guys, is uh, we're going to lightly discuss some happening events. But for the most part, what I like to do with, with all my podcasts is make sure that the, every, the content is evergreen. So when you listen to this podcast and later podcasts, the content is relevant yesterday, today, tomorrow. We're not going to uh, outdate or let the podcast become outdated by always discussing current events because maybe today COVID and the riots are a happening event. But a year from now, it won't be. So that information is kind of useless. And most of the other stuff we're going to be discussing will be. So the first part we're going to discuss is, uh, Nelson, let's discuss a little bit about how steroid use has changed through the ages. Because, I mean, we can see what the pros look like today, the top level guys look like today, and what they looked like in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there's definitely been a big shift, a big change in the type of compounds, the dosing, and everything that guys have been doing. Um, I know You've got some theories about it. I have my own. Um, what do you think? What, what do you think's changed so much if, if you look at, let's say, the competitors, the, the big guys in the 70s compared to the guys today? Well, there, first of all, there are other factors besides the drugs themselves. you got to realize, well, let me go back a little bit, because like in my day, back uh, in ancient times, um, the guys who started lifting were not the naturally big guys. They were like the scrawny guys. They started lifting to get big. So you didn't have a lot of people even interested in bodybuilding who were naturally big. As the years went on, it attracted just naturally bigger guys. So you got to realize that, you know, in 1970, if you were, you know, five foot nine and 170 pounds, that was kind of average. But today you got some guys, they're, they're, they're monsters before they even pick up a weight or like, or take a roid. So that's one factor. Um, you know, Slynn and uh, GH is, I think is, is a tremendous amount. And I think guys are just pushing the envelope in terms of how much they're taking. Guys used to cycle back I mean, in Arnold's day. They cycled. They do a little, you know, eight week cycle before a contest. Today, guys are on it year round. And I think that's part of what makes a big difference. If, you, if you're willing to just take high dosages of heavy duty stuff year round, you're going to get the monstrous size that you get. And another thing you have to consider is because so many more people are taking it, 
people have a different genetic propensity for steroids. Some people just really take to them better. So if you've got like tens of thousands of more people doing it, you're going to see those special elite group, genetic group kind of blossom. You so know, this is something all together. Yeah. This is something we've discussed on, on uh, quite at length because people send in questions to, to my other podcast, Evolutionary Radio Podcast, which you're going to be a guest on in the next couple episodes now. So I'm pretty uh, looking forward to that. But we always get the question from guys saying, hey, I want to compete. I want to be a pro. You know, what should, I, what should I do? What should I take? I tell everybody, and you just confirmed it, genetics first. You know, if you really want to be real with yourself, if you've got a chance at standing up there on the Olympia stage, genetics not only how your muscles connect and where they, how they lie, just how you react to natural training and also how you react to the drugs. A lot of guys just can't handle the steroids. Their skin breaks out badly, lose their hair right away. A lot of guys have prostate issues. A lot of guys just can't handle the estrogen. Part of the genetics of being able to be a top-level competitor now, they really is staying on cycle pretty much year-round, year after year for 10 years to build a physique that can, that can look good on stage. And you, just, you either have the genetics for it or not. Kevin, Le, Kevin Lebron, he was on, uh, on the Dave Palumbo podcast. He he's told a, a pretty, uh, pretty cool story. He was in a powerlifting competition, and at night they had a bodybuilding competition in the same venue. He went up there. He competed in powerlifting. Somebody said, hey, man, you, you look great. You should probably compete at night. So he went out, bought some shorts, shaved, and came in for the night uh, competition for bodybuilding. Didn't know how to pose, wasn't really prepared for a bodybuilding competition, and he won. That's just, he just looked that great just from powerlifting. So when you get top-level competitive guys like Phil and, and Kai, these guys were getting jacked, just natural, going through the gym a little bit, just going through the motions. They looked incredible. Then you add lifelong dedication and steroids on top of that, and then you – might have a chance at, at standing up there. So yeah, like you said, dude, steroids just take better to some people. There's some guys who use a little bit of like super droll or something and their nipples are lactated. And then you get guys that slam grams and grams of steroids on their, into their body and they're just fine. Here's another question I have for you, Nelson, going on, on how things have changed. It's, it's been kind of my opinion that you started to see dosages climb up as we found better ways to deal with with, uh, with side effects. And let me, let, me, let me clear that a little bit. So for example, around late 1980s, early 1990s, Dan Duchesne started suggesting, hey, use Novadex, use Novadex for gyno. You know, use Novadex for gyno. I know you hate Novo, but he said, hey, use Novadex for gyno. Before then, what guys used to do was use Masteron, maybe don't use as much steroids, you know, cycle off. They, they, you deal with estrogen in different ways. Once you had something like Novadex, now you could just... Take that and, and you don't have to worry too much about adding Mastron or, or keeping your doses low or keeping your, your injection timing just right to not cause spikes. Later on, Arimidex came into the scene. And then you, a little bit years later, Aromacin came into the scene. And that's when you really saw, in my opinion, guys doing a gram of, of testosterone as a base for every cycle. I mean, something that unless you had access to Arimidex, Aromacin, Novadex, you know, all these things you probably wouldn't have thought of doing. So would you maybe, you maybe see some of the same or, or what else do you think made a change in how much, how much steroids guys started using? Um, well, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Address it. First of all, Masteron wasn't around back then. Masteron wasn't around in the 80s. Um, at least I never saw it. Uh, there was Proviron. 
although um, it wasn't really used as an anti-estrogen. They weren't quite aware of that yet. The thing with Duchenne and Novodex is, I mean, I've talked to, I've hung out with Dan. And he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And the way he came up with the Novodex is he realized that it was a, um, it's an anti-cancer drug. It's an anti-tumor drug for women. And uh, because gynecomastia is essentially a tumor. It's a benign tumor that happens in the breast. So he came up with this great idea. It's like you take this drug that blocks benign tumors and problem solved. Personally, I don't like Novodex for a lot of reasons. It's very toxic. It doesn't work particularly well. It's site-specific, so it doesn't really remove estrogen from your body. It removes it pretty much at the site. And, yeah, something like Masterano Provine would work much better. And uh, you got to realize also that gyno is also genetic. So people could take, like, you know, grams of tests. They don't get any problems. And, honestly, I, I just – it's a drug that I would not recommend. Uh, it also suppresses uh, IGF. Um, I mean, if you really have a problem with gyno, if you actually develop nipples, you know, uh, or bitch tits, uh, I say get it cut out, you know, because uh, th 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 then it's gone forever and you just got a much better chance at, at dealing with that problem. Um, what was the other part of the question? <laughs> so um, do you think that guys realizing that they can use something like Novodex or Remedex, Aromacin, do you think that also made guys put in, add more steroids to their cycles because, because some of this high estrogen could be, could be wiped away with some of the anti-estrogens? I think they actually guys got smarter in what to use. See, back in the uh, 60s, early 70s, the big stack was uh, Dynabol and Deca. And, and just as a correction, just, I mean, it's a different time, the 80s, less internet, but um, Mastron was actually just for the sake of clarity was, was approved for medical use in the United States in 1961. So mm. it was, it was hanging around, it was out and about, or, I mean, it was developed in 1959, pretty much all of the main steroids that we know were developed during that golden age between the 1950s to the 1960s, middle 1960s, everything we use today was, was developed then. It may have been around. It wasn't necessarily in the bodybuilding arm. Was, wasn't, wasn't very popular, maybe. It wasn't That's popular. Cool. Well, you got to realize something about Masteron. Masteron is an interesting drug. I, I loved it, by the way. But Masteron doesn't really build muscle. Masteron will make you really hard. It's a great pre-contest drug. It makes you hard as hell, and the veins pop out and all that. But as soon as you stop taking Mast, the effects are gone. It's like... You know, you, you got nothing out of it. It's pr pretty much a cosmetic drug, which might be the reason why it wasn't popular. It may have been around. Lots of drugs were around. You know, Equipoise was originally a, a human steroid. Yeah, it was. It, I have said before that it was never approved for human use because I wasn't aware. But I have. But it was designed for human use. It was. Yes, and it was later approved for. It was approved for human use for a short short period of time. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, yeah, but Mastermind wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't thought. Of, it's DHT. But back to the, what, the point I was making is uh, D-Ball and DECA were the big drugs. And people didn't really understand DECA back then. They thought, like, it wasn't really – it didn't aromatize. And they really had the wrong idea about DECA. Uh, but anyway, DECA and Dynaball is like the worst combination in the world for bitch tits. It's, you know, that, that will – if you look at – the first case of bitch tits is uh, Franco Colombo at the 19 – oh, I don't know, like 82 Olympia or something. He's got the worst case of gyno. It's horrible. But uh, that's when uh, Dan came up with the idea of the Novodex. But I think guys got a little bit smarter as to what to use and what not to combine. That Deca and D-Ball combination is 
lethal. It's horrible for, for gynecomastia. But then you had um, Arnold who took D-ball and Primo. And, you know, a lot of a lot of guys uh, don't even understand that when Diana will aromatizes, it maintains the the modification at the seventeen at the seventeenth position. So it's still a methylated uh, hormone. It's still basically methyl stradiol. It's a methylated estrogen that's more resistant to breakdown and stronger than what your body can naturally make. And a lot of guys and a lot of guys don't don't, don't realize that that's this is why this is why Diana Ball has such uh, such a I would say I would call it such a heightened kind of side effect from from estrogen when you know testosterone at the same doses is not giving you that completely different. Well, it's interesting because Dynabol is meant to be an improved version of testosterone, a gentler version. But the 17 alpha alkalization is what makes it so effective, and part of that uh, spike in estrogen is also what makes it effective because you just get size. Yeah, uh, you I, know, I, you know, one, one thing I talk about a lot on on the podcast is. A lot of guys today will, will slam, you know, 40, 60 milligrams of Dianamol and then take an anti-estrogen with it, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. If, if you're going to do that, you've got Terenable available, just do that. Right. But if, if you take those, those 10, 15, 20 milligrams of Dianamol a day, it's going to aromatize a little bit. You just write that out. You're bulking, right? Why, why else are you taking it? Just write out a little bit of that extra extra estrogen. Don't don't get don't be afraid of it, and your gains will be great. And you'll you'll have strength gains. I mean, you you can do much better, in my opinion. Twenty migs of D ball, no no anti ease than you would doing 40, 60 migs of D ball and adding aromas into it or something ridiculous like that. It's not the way. It's not the way. Well, yeah, I agree. You're kind of fighting against yourself, and anti estrogens are also. Um... They are counterproductive, and uh, they're not to be taken lightly. I, this is something I've been uh, fighting with people uh, on message boards for decades. You know, people think, like, oh, I'll just keep popping this aromas in or this arimidex, and, like, it'll take care of that problem. No, man, they're toxic drugs. you got to keep them to a minimum. And also, you want a healthy estrogen level. You know, if you crush your estrogen, you're killing your libido, you're killing your gains. It's just, you know, your LDL goes way up. So uh, that's not the answer. I agree with you. I agree. You're better off taking a little bit less. And here's the thing, man. I remember I've talked to a lot of pros from the 60s and 70s, and these guys were taking like 10, 20 mixes of people. That was like their contest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, yeah. well, well, and, and at that age, they couldn't they couldn't slam aromas in on top of 40, 50, 60 mixes of people like that's guys true. do today. Yeah, they, they couldn't. You know, and this is why they use the smaller doses. They used it the way it was meant to be used. But this is uh, something else we could get into because like you were talking before about guys who have genetic propensity. It's funny because I think a lot of guys, like look at uh, uh, Dorian. Dorian Yates did steroids pretty much right out of the gate. And he just took to him, obviously. But it's interesting. You look at Dorian today and he looks good. He's in shape. But he looks kind of like a normal dude. You know, he kind of looks like a 200-pound fit guy. I mean, he was a monster, an absolute monster. So that just kind of shows how some people react. I think that I'll be. I think there's a little bit too much over intellectualizing in terms of combining drugs and stacking, and then taking different drugs to fight the side effects of the first drugs. I think people wind up painting themselves in the corner with that when they really should simplify. Because bottom line is the training is what really matters. And um, if you can't grow on again, if you can't grow on 20 megs of D ball, and I mean Arnold took 20 megs of D ball supposedly. And 100 megs of Prima Bowl in a day, which at the time was considered outrageous. 
And that's oh, like, yeah, 100 that, megs of Primor days is a rate, outrageous for that time. Yeah, yeah. For that time. But today, that's pretty much nothing. So if you can't grow on that, then, dude, it's just like, what, you know, what are you looking to do? I mean, I think the guys rely too – this is like an old – I'm an old school thing. Guys rely too much on the drugs and not enough on the training. And to me, it's always been a little just sort of adjunct to the training. Once I peaked out naturally, because we, you know, we were talking about that earlier, I, started, I only dabbled when I was 40 years old. I trained completely naturally before that. So, you know, then I, I realized that these drugs can take you to the next level. But you've got these guys right out of the gate that are trying to be like mad scientists thinking that, you know, if I just find the right combination, I'm going to look like, you know, Kai. And uh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, I just had a conversation today with a guy who had a, a bunch of different questions about this drug, that drug. Now, not, Matt, now, mind you, he's not a competitor. You know, he's a he's a good customer. He uh, buys from my store, supplement store, and he's not a competitor. But he's really worried about the difference between how, how DECA is going to behave when stacked with either with Tremblon or this or that. And I said, look, man, you're only trying to do two things, right? Gain some muscle mass, lose some body fat. You don't need to worry about five, six, seven different drugs, man. As long as you're actually training and eating like someone who's trying to get leaner, whatever steroids you take, will just make it, will just make it happen quicker. Like my belief is you can even cut with DECA. You know, you might not look hard the way you would a master on, but at the end of the day, once you finish your DECA cycle, once you finish all your things, if you did your diet and training right, you might end up with the same body fat percentage than you would if you ran, you know, a windstraw or whatever. It's just really about calories in versus calories out versus uh, how much training you do, how much protein synthesis you're activating, how much, what your diet is like. And those, and then just the steroids will, will just make things will make things happen a little quicker. I'm at a point now where, you know, you, I tell guys like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. What can you get? Well, what should I get? What can you get? Whatever you, you know that you can confidently get that's legitimate, we would be able to fit it into either a bulking or cutting cycle. We don't need to get that specific. You know, unless you're, unless you're competing and you need to hover around like the middle single digits in body fat, you might not really fucking notice the difference between a Winstrol or a Mastron or a Deca or a testosterone, really. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, uh, yeah. first of all, a couple of things. I was never big on what drugs are good for losing weight because to me, diet is really about, like you said, it's calories in as opposed to calories expended. That, that's, that's what gets you lean. Um, and again, I agree. Anything you take is going to help. You know, people say, oh, this is a cutting drug. This is a bulking drug. This is a this, that. It's all bullshit. In a lot of, it's funny because when you learn about this stuff, and I, you know, spend many years studying this and learning the ins and outs and the chemistry and all that, like with anything, with any skill that you learn, you, you really get into um, the technical aspect of it. And then as you go on, you start to simplify. And I got to say this, at this stage of my life, after studying this thing for like several decades, it, it kind of comes down to all steroids are essentially testosterone. I mean, you know, they're all based on the testosterone molecule. They all kind of do what testosterone does. They're all a little different here, there, and the other way. But, I mean, you could just take testosterone and yeah, pretty much, be done. And be and done. done. You know, and it, it's going to work. It's going to work. Bulking or cutting or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I used to – and testosterone was thought of as a harsh drug years ago. But now I, I, I look at it differently because testosterone is, we make testosterone. 
Abadi doesn't make deca. Abadi doesn't make anavar. It makes disaster. So enhancing that is actually probably the most real, you know, natural thing you could do in terms of elevating your uh, your natural anabolic ability. Now there are certain drugs that I do like more than others. I I'm not a fan of deca. Deca was meant to be as a, a substitute for um, testosterone, but it, it boosts your progesterone like crazy. Um, there's supposed to be a very tiny, small amount of, of DECA, of nandrolone made by the female body during the time of pregnancy. While she's pregnant, in her urine, very tiny amounts of, oh yeah. of DECA can be, can be detected. And this is where scientists got, got the idea of taking this less androgenic steroid and, and using it as, as TRT. They've tried it. They've tried several things as, as TRT, and nothing's been better than testosterone. Uh, no, and it's it's funny because I I was a big Primo fan. I think you know that. My, my readers know that I love Primo. Primo, you know, hey, by, by the way, guys, we're doing a podcast, uh, evolutionary radio podcast with Nelson Montana, and we're going to be going over Primo Ball. And this will be our second uh, edition of the Primo Ball. And we did a Primo Ball podcast one. This will be number two with uh, Nelson as a guest. But uh, well, I'll, I'll save the Primo info for, the, for that podcast. I just want to say that. To people who have never done Primo, or even people who have a little experience with it, if somebody sold them 25 mgs of testosterone and said it was 100 mgs of Primo, I bet you 8 out of 10 people wouldn't know the difference. Because they'd just be getting a little bit of an effect, they wouldn't get any nasty side effects, and they'd think like, oh, this Primo is great. You know, (laughs) I'm getting gains, but I'm not getting gyno, and I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that. So even Primo, which is, you know, a little bit different structure than testosterone, kind of still is working the same way. You know, it comes down to testosterone, which is, again, another reason why I think people get way too elaborate. Uh, the only drug that I feel is really in the class by itself is Tren. Trem- Tremolin is, is something else entirely. Yeah, Tremolin is, is uh, I recommend guys don't even use it as, you know, to just have a nice uh, beach-going body, it's just not necessary to put yourself to that kind of toxicity. I can see if you want to experiment with it once or twice just to see what it's like. But really, I mean, most of the effects of Trembolone, while you're on it, feel, feel, feel awesome. It does change your physique. It does help the way other steroids work. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't be something you rely on if all you're doing is just walking around looking nice with your shirt off. It's too much, too much for, for that. Well, I think what a lot of people don't realize is Tremblin is a drug that has absolutely no human studies. I, I forgot the guy's name. I actually interviewed him, the guy who discovered Tremblin. It was designed to, uh, as a, a growth drug for cattle. And what happened was the cows got bigger. But the meat was tough because they were losing fat. So this guy was like, oh, man, this is great. And he was taking like these little tiny pellets and giving them to bodybuilders, and they were going crazy because it just was so amazingly effective. I have never used it because I'm a health guy. And the thing with Tremblin is there's no denying this stuff does not help me. You know, which, again, is, which is ridiculous when you got these guys who are barely in shape and they want to take trend. All right. I mean, you can take anything. You can take, you know. You can take meth if you want, but it's not really a, a healthy thing to take. And I'm more of the belief, if you're serious, man, train hard. You want to take a little D-ball, a little testosterone, a little Primo? Yeah, you're going to make better gains. But Tren, Tren is, is pretty serious. I mean, and you know, all the side effects, they're all nasty. The coughs, the night sweats, the insomnia, the, the anxiety, the shortness of breath. I mean, you know, it's not meant to be taken. <laughs> it's effective. 
but it's not going to really enhance your health. So well, that's, it that's does. It does have a, a lot of inflammation, and and it's used in cattle right right around the time that they're going to be slaughtered. I mean, it's it's used in an animal that's going to die anyway. And you know, the, the, there are some some interesting studies on trend because I'm always researching different things. And uh, there was a research on trend done uh, as to see what the effects or how much trend is actually making it into the environment from all the cows from all the cows pissing it out, and. Uh, they actually found that they would take samples during the day and they couldn't find a lot of trembolone. But if they took the samples at night, they'd find a lot. It seems the molecules would move around during the day under, under daylight. It was not, not very detectable. And then at night uh, with the absence of light and heat, it would snap back into, into hormonal form. And it was affecting the way local fish were reproducing trembling in the environment just from all the cows pissing it out throughout the years and it's now in the environment this in you know any, anywhere that there are their feedlots and their cows um being uh that have tremble on implants they tend to this is all well, over the yeah, that's what they're saying i mean with a lot of things you know now they have like the horm- the hormone free meats and all that i will say this the the amount that you ingest by eating the flesh orally I mean, it's so, so slight. You would get, but I mean, this is sort of another thing. I mean, there's precocious puberty in girls uh, where they're getting breasts younger now uh, because of all the estrogens in the environment. So, you know, that's a part of it. Is it coming from the meat? It's coming from, you know, lots of sources. Get a little bit closer to the mic. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah, you're getting a little bit of room of room on noise. Uh, I was saying that there's a uh, girls who are experiencing precocious puberty because of all the estrogens in the environment, and that could be coming from the meat. It's coming from it's coming from lots of factors. But uh, yeah, that's an issue that I think is is difficult to gauge. Uh, but as much as as far as how much you actually ingest from that, uh, it, it would be slight. It would be great if you got all the effects of trend by having a hamburger, but. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, moving, move, moving along, uh, um, the other things we wanted to discuss in the podcast, getting into the closing here is older guys, right? Guys, uh, I'm about to turn 40 next month. Um, you're, uh, how old are you again? Now? I am 66. 66. Yeah. yeah. So it's a nice, uh, spread. And this is, uh, these are the guys that this podcast is mainly for guys over 35 guys, 40 guys in their sixties who are still worried about the way they look who might maybe might be in a relationship or maybe are single or maybe have a complicated relationship like uh, a lot of uh, people do nowadays. So one of the things we're going to talk about is steroid use into your forties, fifties, and sixties. And I'd like to start off that topic by saying, Nelson, I, 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 you know, and I've said this before, again, on my other podcast, I wish I would have waited. You know, I started using steroids at 20. I was trained. I was weight training since I was 13 you know, just for physique and to get stronger because I went to a pretty rough school system uh, and uh, all, the, all everybody was just getting brolic and bolo and I wasn't going to be the only one left behind. So around 13, I started doing, started lifting weights, started doing push-ups, wrestled through high school. Then around 19, 20, 21, I found the forums, found the internet. I found articles by you that you were writing for Testosterone Magazine at, at the time. And... Uh, I started to get curious about steroids, ordered my first cycle. Stuff came from two different countries. St- the stuff arrived and I hit it. I was only about 20. And I've, I've on and off 
use steroids. A lot of it is research to write articles and to, and to consult and just to maintain health. But my belief today is this, man. I think the age for any man to begin steroid use is probably after you turn 40, 45, 50, 60. You know, when you're 20, I could have made just good enough progress, consistency, everything. I think in my 20s, being completely clean. Maybe I wouldn't have been as, as impressive as I, as I was at times without the steroid use, but I could have maintained just a really good physique. Now, it gets a lot harder at 40, 50, 60. I think the right time for, for anybody, if you're going to really start using steroids, it's probably to 40, 50. You know, I now going into 40 have to worry about maybe what these steroids might do to my body after 20 years. I haven't used them on and off. But, you know, if you're going into 40, 50, 60, maybe worrying about things 20, 30 years down the line is maybe it's not as worrisome. So that's my opinion on, on age and, and steroid use. Now, what do, you, what do you think, Nelson, as far as how should guys look at steroid use in, in, in our kind of broad age group, 40 to 60, 60 70? Well, the, uh, one of the first, the, actually the first article I ever wrote that kind of put me on the map, uh, got the attention of a lot of people in the industry was an article called Steroids for Health. And the premise of that was to use steroids in very light doses, short cycles as a supplement to natural training. So you get your natural training, you train as much as you can, and you do a little short light cycle, and that gives you a bump. Here, here's the thing with steroid cycles that I think a lot of young guys miss, and I think it's important for them to know. You hear these stories like, oh, your first cycle is the best, take advantage of it, you gain 20, 30 pounds. Let me tell you something. The body cannot hold on to 20 pounds of muscle. The body wants to always maintain homeostasis. So if you gain 20 pounds of muscle, you're going to lose it. And look at it this way. If you gain 10 pounds on a cycle, let's say eight of it is muscle, people think, ah, that's nothing. Imagine eight pounds of chopped meat, you know, packed onto your body. <laughs> that's a lot of muscle. And if you gain eight pounds and you lose three and you wind up with five, you've got five extra pounds of muscle. But if you put on 20, not only are you going to lose 15 of them, but because you're so depressed, uh, suppressed, from, you know, um, not being able to produce testosterone, you're going to lose that five. So the whole concept that these guys do of taking these big cycles, it's counterproductive. And then what happens is a month later, they want to go back on because they realize that they look like shit. So they got to go back on. I'm a believer is you train as hard as you can for as long as you can until you finally peak. Now, it might be a little earlier. I mean, maybe if somebody starts training at 15, they might go until they're 35 and realize this is it. I could put I put on as much muscle as I could possibly put on. Then you want to dabble with the little steroids. Then I would say that would be the time to do it. I'm not recommending anybody do that. That's a disclaimer. I'm just saying if you are to do it, if you're hell bent on doing it, that is the best way to do it. You know, I think I think steroids just make you feel better, make much bigger difference in your day-to-day -day life when you are 40s, 50s, 60s than you do when you're in your early 20s. Well, yeah, and uh, see, now at my age, I don't do it. Well, I'm on replace, um, testosterone replacement, which is, which is essentially a non-stop steroid cycle. If you really non-stop steroid use, right? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's just enough to, I mean, I could get my testosterone up to that of a healthy 30-year-old. 
And that's a tremendous advantage. And um, I was doing it before. Now it's becoming a little bit more accepted, but I was doing it at a time when, you know, it was a little bit more renegade. But uh, I think there comes a point where doing heavy cycles, once you pass 60, it's, I, I think it's, I, the body doesn't recoup quite as fast. Now, I did a, a contest. Uh, you, you wouldn't do orals now, would you? No. No. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't touch any oral steroids right now? No. As much as I love D-ball, I wouldn't do it. The last time I did, I, well, I, when I did a contest uh, seven years ago now, I did start it off with a little D-ball because it just, it just gives you that size so quickly. A lot of it's water, but right, you think right, about right. the water is you get strength, so you can train harder. So you can go harder, yes. You can go, go harder. Um, but the funny thing is, I, I was going to join... You know, a lot of guys kill that using aromacin on the cycles. Like, what the fuck's the point, right? We just discussed that. No, no, yeah, that made no sense. No, you want the water, you know? Um, but uh, anyway, when I did the show, I was going to do an over 60, but there were no over 60 contests around. I guess everybody was dead. So I, I ended an over 50. <laughs> I did an over 50, and I'm like, okay, I'm 59. I'm going to do an over 50. Dude, I went in there. Some of these guys were monsters. I mean, you could tell that they were juicing nonstop for the last 20 years. Insulin, <laughs> insulin growth factor, growth hormone. Everything. Yeah. And they looked amazing. They looked amazing. Um, I finished out of the money. I finished six, but whatever. But... Um, so there are guys who are doing it, but I do think that at that point, hey, dude, if you spent your whole life lifting weights and you did some cycles and you have a good amount of muscle, I think guys in my age range are proving that you don't have to be a decrepit old man, but you may not want to be pushing the cycles after 60 because, you know, you got to worry about kidneys, you got to worry about prostate, you got to worry about, you know, liver, everything. So I look at it like, hey, I had my time, I made the best of it, and, uh, I'm reaping the, the award, rewards because uh, right now I'm, I'm as strong as I ever was. I think I look as good as I ever was. There's two things I don't have. I don't have the flexibility and I don't have the skin elasticity. But other than that, and, and here's, here's what, back to my original point because you just brought something out that's really interesting. See, my, my case, right? By the time I turned 60, I would have had about 40 years in my life where I've right. dabbled with androgens at one time or another. You get another guy listening to this podcast now turning 60 uh, um, and he never did steroids or maybe did a, a light TRT dose for the last five years. If we're talking about doing cycles from here on out, he might have less to worry about because I have some more residual damage and toxicity from all those years. Well, I, I don't look at the time. That oh, well, and, and, and remember this, there, there are cancers that are androgen dependent. And just keeping a high level of and estrogen dependent cancers even, and just keeping a high levels of those hormones for decades of your life. If you were prone to getting something, you might, you might actually get it when you might have not had it if you hadn't been injecting shit all that all that all, all that. Well, you got you got to realize there are a lot of guys who get cancer who never touched a steroid in their life. So that's number this one. This be true. Heart disease, people. Yeah, you know true. everything. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I still fucking use steroids because you could fucking die not doing anything anyway. So yeah, I mean, you know, you got you to you know, get the blood work done and all that. I don't think there's the residual thing as a factor. I really don't think that the little bit I did has affected me long term. If that were the case, I wouldn't be around. Uh, but, I, but again, I always was, you know, very careful with it. There are guys who hit it really hard. 
But um, the thing about being older is it isn't so much the residual uh, damage is your cells just don't replicate as well when you're older. I think everything is slower. You know, uh, injuries take a longer time. You just, you know, the body. Have, have, you, have, you, done, have you done growth hormone? Are you on growth hormone right now? Have you fucked I am not on growth hormone. I've tried it. I don't love growth hormone. Um, yeah, I'm also worried about that will accelerate cancer if you have a propensity to it. Yes, yes. IGF-1, those peptides, growth hormone, yes. Yeah. A, lot more, a lot more than testosterone would, yes. Absolutely. Peptides is another thing we could get into. But uh, I have used growth hormone. I have to say, personally, I never felt a great advantage from it. It's, it's, it by the way, just FYI, guys, it's one of the reasons some of the anti-estrogen drugs will lower IGF. Uh, because it's kind of built in because IGF, high, high IGF growth hormone, all this stuff, it, it all feeds cancer. So a lot of anti-estrogen drugs that you run across in the market uh, as, a, as a little side uh, and, and also look for wanted effect, they lower IGF as well, which is, which is counterproductive for bodybuilding to have low growth hormone, low IGF levels is counterproductive for bodybuilding. But if you've got cancer problems is exactly what you want just to lower those hormones. Right, right. You guys should get their estrogen checked because you want your estrogen to be like between 20 and 30. There are some guys that are taking, if you're taking more than a half a mig of Arimidex a week, man, that's a lot. You don't need it. Most guys don't even need. Now, again, now as an older guy, we naturally produce a little bit more estrogen. So estrogen control is a part of HRT. But even still, you don't need that much. You need a very, very, very tiny bit because you want to keep a, a healthy estrogen level. But as far as growth hormone goes, Growth hormone also made me a little bit jittery because um, it really, um, it burns carbs very quickly. So you get a little bit, uh, you get like a little hypoglycemic. That's one of the reasons why you get lean on growth hormone. Yeah, everybody, everybody gets a little bit of that. Yeah, everybody gets yeah. a little bit. Right after the injection too, depending on how yeah. much. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't dig it. I just didn't like, it just wasn't worth it for me. And it's expensive and uh, I don't know. And, so and I, really, I didn't really got on it. To really take advantage of it with growth hormone, I feel like you don't want to... You don't want to spike insulin uh, too much and eat too, too many carbs after it because it, it gets through the body a lot more efficiently when there's not, there's not a lot of insulin flow. through. Insulin tends to get in the way of the way you can move through the cells. It, it gets through less cells. Well, yeah. Well, messing with the pancreas, that's another topic too. One, 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 one of the reasons your body naturally releases uh, most of its growth hormone when you're in a fasted state, especially in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Just, yep. that, that in, insulin in the body just doesn't, doesn't let that growth hormone do everything it could do. And under, uh, under great stress, uh, the body releases a lot of growth hormone when you squat. Yes. So, um, yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying that, you know, these are some things that I, I, I used to see mentioned and talked about all the time when I was a young, when I was, you know, in the nineties as a teenager. And now they don't talk about that anymore, that, you know, doing, doing squats, doing deadlifts, doing some of these big compound movements that your body makes more hormones your body makes more yeah. growth factors more more anabolic hormones just from, from those activities like there's studies that back this up well, and- it's funny i mean I, i'm coming from the old school thing so i i when i started writing like for testosterone that was the big dot-com boom so things really changed after that i mean the accessibility of the drugs changed i mean everything changed but what happened is you have a lot of these and you know this you got these self-professed gurus who came along and, you know, they get their fans and a lot of people just kind of found, they just, oh, well, that's the old shit. You know, we don't pay attention to that anymore. But what works, works. If it worked 
40 years ago, it works now. And what didn't work, didn't work. So, um, you, you know what, Nelson? You know, you know, one of the, I blame several things for, for the dozing, just, just getting out of control and climbing up. And, and look, when I was coming up as a, as a young man in my 20s, I used to parrot this shit. And I used to think this kind of dosing was acceptable. And I did it on myself. But one of the things that happened with the internet was that now we had in our ears and, and they were connected to, to all these places, all these European sources. And then you saw the same guys that were selling this shit were the same guys trying to help people buy the stuff and, um, and tell people how to use this stuff. And then yeah. cycles got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I think I'm thinking some of it had to do with basically the, the internet, uh, the internet making it so that sources could now uh, give their opinion on how guys should, should cycle. And, and then you saw guys doing two, three grams a week and just like Bob going to the office running yeah. two fucking grams of juice a week, just smashing a ton of sauce. And Bob is like a fucking accountant in the office. Like, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? Well, uh, I'll tell the audience, because uh, Rick and I were talking about this uh, a little while ago. You know, people say that, you know, Anavar is a safe drug. This is a sort of internet, you know, folklore. Oh, it's safe, it's safe. Anavar, it's mild. Oh, this and that. And they're getting that research from the legitimate uh, medical information on Anavar. But what people don't realize is the, uh, the standard dose for Anavar was two and a half milligrams. So, so who takes two and a half milligrams of Anavar? I mean, and now they're making, in, you know, in the, uh, the labs, it's 10 migs, 20 migs. That's a big hit. That is a, and suddenly and people think like, oh, it's Anavar. It's mild. It's not going to hurt me. No, dude, that's a hard hit of an oral drug. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it came to the point where higher doses just became normal because everybody was doing them. Everybody was recommending them. Everybody was promoting them. And everybody was doing them. You, you know, I'm, I'm doing some testing on Anabar now. I'm running a small four-week cycle. I'm taking before and after pictures and just documenting. It's going to be part of a, a tiny little book that I'm going to have available for guys. And um, I've got to tell you, man, for guys with experience, it's not that great. It's not worth the money. Yeah, if, you're a newbie, yeah. if you're a newbie, if you don't know anything, if you haven't touched any other steroids, uh, yeah, why not? Anavars has got training wheels on it. You don't need an anti-estrogen. You, you, do, wanna, you do want to actually uh, do a, a po- proper post-cycle therapy. You do want to take some liver support. Uh, we're going to talk about that in closing. Um, but you really can kind of just do it, and it, you, you'll feel something from it. But for me, I'm, I'm sitting there using Anavar right now. I'm doing 50 megs a day. It's just, you know, it's a good, good amount. And I'm thinking like, man, you know, I could have saved a lot more money and been doing a testosterone cycle right now. And I'd be a lot happier with my results. Oh yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would just keep my diet super clean and, and make sure that not to, obviously you don't do a lot of testosterone, so you don't have big estrogen issues. And I'd be, and I'd make more muscle gains and, and while getting leaner, faster i think with just proper using the, the, the testosterone just right as opposed to to the anavar and and i think it's a real newbie drug it's also it's also probably the only steroid that females uh should even think about using that won't give them really nasty hard side effects but for for guys like you and i that's got some experience that got that have already done some stuff it's it's probably not probably not worth the money you know, well, here's the, here's the thing, and this is another way, like, as, as you get older, you learn to simplify. You got to look at all steroids. There are two things. They're anabolic and they're androgenic. 
and some are more anabolic and some are more androgenic. So what's the point of take now, Anavar is very anabolic, but you need that androgen to get the strength, to get the size. So you've got to add something in it. Otherwise you want, yeah, you've taken 100 <laughs> milligrams of Anamar a day, you'll be making mild gains and destroying your liver and destroying your uh, lipids. So you would get better results from 10 milligrams of Dynaball, but people think like, oh, well, that's so little. Well, you're just taking a lot of something weak or a little of something strong. You know, take your pick. It's kind of, you know, it's a trade-off. So, uh, and, and then it also comes down to testosterone. If testosterone and, you know, for cutting, guys don't mention this, for, but for cutting, um, Dianamol is actually a great anti-catabolic. So for cardiac or, or a caloric or a caloric deficit, guys just don't use it that way. But, I mean, it could keep you from losing muscle mass on a, on a, cutting, on a cutting diet. I would recommend people check out this guy, Danny Padilla. He was like this little five-foot guy back in the 70s, ripped to the bone. He just took Dianamol. That was it. And the guy was dense and thick and cut like hell, Dynaball. The rest is training, then diet. So, um, so yeah, people really do overcomplicate it. It's, it's the tail wagging the dog. They think the drugs are going to create this magical sort of result, when the truth is the drugs are just like they're just a supplement. you got to look at them like supplements, just like nutritional supplements. They help a little bit, you know, but you've got to have your training and diet, you know, in order. Otherwise you know, you're kind of wasting your time with it. All right. Yeah, man. So, uh, so guys, this is just a small preview of some of uh, what we're going to cover on this podcast today. We just had a pretty broad conversation about things, but going forward, we're going to get very specific with actual protocols and actual programs to follow. Uh, the, the way we're going to really structure this podcast is we're going to actually give you something you can go and start doing something you can incorporate into your training, into your daily life every single day one or two or three suggestions and uh, they're all going to be based on just eight years and years and decades of experience that Nelson and I now now put together after all these all these years uh, in the industry um, another thing that we're going to be talking about a lot here and uh, we'll get uh, as we get more comfortable podcasts it'll come out more and more is we'll talk about these girls man <laughs> you know there's a lot of a lot of guys that I I dealt with um, for their training and diet. And they all seem to have some kind of female problems. One of the things that pushes guys in our age group to get back into their fitness grind, to get back into their training, to just get back into wanting to really look good is problems with these females, getting divorced, getting separated, things getting complicated. You're now back in the dating market, you know, it wasn't like this, right, uh, Nelson? Years ago, people used to want to stay together for life. But now we're in a, the way culture is today, if you don't like things, you change them. If things don't suit you, you get the fuck rid of them. Well, and, I ain't that old. I didn't grow up in the, like, leave it to beaver days. It, it happens. <laughs> it, and it does, it does happen now. I think people are a lot, people are, are a lot less enamored with the idea of marriage to the point of trying to keep it together at all costs. Now people are more willing to say, yo, this ain't working out. Fuck this. Where it was a, it was a big decision to make. It was like a cuss word to think about breaking up a marriage. Well, I think it depends on your situation. I mean, if you, first of all, if you have money, you could throw money at problems and you could move on and you could buy love. 
<laughs> so people, if they're doing well or they're young, they figure like, hey, I'll just roll the dice again and, you know, and go out. There's a lot of factors involved. I mean, I've been married. I, I had a son. I've uh, been through long-term relationships, been through a lot of short-term relationships. You know, it depends on a lot of factors. But I think that, um, and it is a little tougher as you get older. But, yeah, I think people just have more options now. And if you're young and strong and, you know, you're doing okay and you're not happy with your relationship, yeah, there's that tendency to want to just, like, bail and go to the next thing. It used to be – I think people used to take marriage and trying to make it work a lot more serious, in my opinion. It just sounded like, you know, divorce was like the last resort. Like, you try anything to keep well, it think- together. I think maybe now. Where did you grow up? You didn't grow up in the states, right? You were well. You were, yeah. Well, I, we moved to the states when I was nine, nine years old. Oh, okay, okay. So I, uh, I can, but you know, I, I do have some of the South American culture, but I was pretty much raised in the states, immigrant household, but there. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't know in terms of the culture. I mean, your parents may have been a little bit more old school, a little bit more, uh, you know, South American. It's, you know, it's different in that way. My parents were actually divorced, uh, so at a time when you know not too many people did that. So um, a, a lot of factors. I think there's a lot of factors involved with that. It's, that's a tough one to answer. So have you also found, because, you know, in, in this industry, we, we help out a lot of people. So we run uh, across a lot of men that need help, diet training. And a lot of them, as you get into talking to them, you get into, oh, I'm recently divorced. Oh, I'm, I'm, I've just started dating. Oh, oh, oh. Have you noticed this a lot more and more that guys that maybe re- reactivate their interest in fitness, reactivate their interest oh, yeah. in the way they look, they're just over a relationship that they're back in the dating scene and they realize like, holy shit, I'm, I'm 40, I'm 50 and I'm fat and fucking washed up and, and, now, and, now, and now I'm single again. <laughs> what well, the well, fuck? That's it. I, I think that's it. I think that when you, uh, you're, sometimes when you're in a long-term relationship, you get lazy. I mean, I never let that happen, but I've seen an awful lot of people that do let that happen. And I think what hits a lot of guys is, oh, wow, you know, this beer belly that my wife just got used to ain't going to fly with like, you know, some of the hot babes that I want to get. So they start thinking in terms of getting in shape and uh, yeah, whatever it takes, the right supplements, everything that's going to get them there faster, you know, they want to know about. Yeah, absolutely. They want to use the drugs and the supplements as a way to reverse just bad living and bad living habits forever. You know, I decided this many years ago. I said, no, I'm never going to get to the point where be one of these old guys that has to decide whether my belt is going to be under or over the belly line, (laughs) you know, where you have to make that fucking decision. And look, there are times in my life where I let myself get get a, a bit overweight. Never quite uh, obese or, or not training. I mean, even, even at some of my fattest, you know what I did? I put on a, a big heavy gi because I had no cardio. And I'd do jujitsu with that gi because I could stall and use my body weight to just throw motherfuckers around. But you just always want to kind of stay active. And if you, if you can become addicted, right, to, 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 to pushing your body to, to, to pain, you know, whether it's with the weights or cardio, or whatever, and just get addicted to that endorphin rush, those extra feel-good hormones that you get afterwards after you push yourself to that point. If you can find a way to just become addicted to that, you're going to be okay because the diet, you can, you can figure in and out. You can, you can figure almost anything else out. 
as long as you're, you're, you're addicted to moving your body, to pushing yourself, to, 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 to feeling some, some burn in your muscles, if you can find the addiction to that, you'll be fine because that it'll, it'll always call you. The weights will always call you. The gym will always call you. It'll, it'll fitness will always pushing yourself will always call you. And also you also never want to give up on yourself the way you look like when, when, when I, when I run across a, a gentleman that's overweight and he's just completely desperate to lose 30 pounds I, I try to wonder, I'm like, wait a minute. And, you know, I've kind of been there before, so I guess I know where they're coming from. But I told myself, if I, how are you so desperate now, but you weren't desperate on the climb up? Like, how, were you, how did you not get desperate 30 times with, with each extra 30 pounds that you gained? How, how, come, how come you didn't have a breakdown in front of the mirror every time you notice an extra 16 pounds of, of fat on you? But now, I'm sorry, 16 ounces of fat on you. But now that you're holding on to 30 and, and you know, and your, your girl moved out of the house, now you need to lose them today. Now it's a fucking priority. Now, now you're in a fucking hurry. So, you know, one of the things that we're going to really help guys and push on this podcast is make sure you adopt that mentality, that mentality that, that makes it pretty effortless for it to keep you, to, for you to stay focused. Adopt that mentality where the gym and just clean eating and just good lifestyle habits just start kind of calling your name when you, when you stray too far from the path. Because that's what I've noticed that a lot of guys have an issue with. Guys who, guys who just go and train a little bit and die a little bit just to, to look a little bit good, but don't actually, don't actually kind of install, you know, the, the lifestyle into, into, into the root folder. You know, don't, don't really fucking really install the software up there. They well, end up not being able to keep it long term and failing pretty, pretty early on. I'll tell you, I, I think what the secret to this is, first of all, to be good at anything. To be absolutely, I don't care if it's a skill. I don't care if it's, a, it's business or playing the piano or being a bodybuilder. You've got to go through that stage where you've got to push yourself to see what you're capable of. Uh, now, at my age, I'm not going to get any bigger. I'm not going to get any more cut. I, I train now to maintain. But um, you've got to go through that stage where you're serious and you've got to be consistent. You know, I, Whenever somebody says, like, how long does it take to build a body like – like you have, I said, it takes just as long not to, you know, and it's the same amount of time, you, just, you know, whether you, you know, whatever it is, you got to just put the time in and the effort in and then you get the result. I think what we'll find through this podcast and one thing we're going to try to offer everybody is really, um, you and I have had a lifelong key in that consistency. You know, you still look great for your age. You're just competing at 59 just now. And, you know, I've been going into 40. I look damn fucking good compared to shit of pretty much every other dude my age out there. And it's really just been about that consistency, kind of installing into the brain that, 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 that software, I call it. Just that, that feel where you need, you need to make this fitness grind a part of your life where, where you just don't feel good once you start feeling your clothing not fit the right way. Once you start seeing, bro, like, like you know, we're older guys. Once you start seeing a little bit of liquids right around your nipples, you know how you start to get that old man titty if you get <laughs> a little bit older? Yeah, if, if these things don't, don't start triggering you to, to, to proactively begin to working on it, then, yeah, you, you're going you're gonna to find that in this podcast. You're gonna find, we're gonna, you're going to feed all of our energy. We're very consistent, and we're going to give you all the tips and everything you need. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast.
Um, I'm looking at registering URLs for the podcast. It's either going to be the age of muscle or ageofmuscle.com is going to be one of the two. So um, this is our podcast. It's our first episode. Um, that's my closing words. What do you have uh, Nelson to help me close the podcast? Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff we could get into and uh, you know, I'm willing to take uh, questions and ideas from the, uh, Anybody listening, and uh, I think we have a lot to offer, and hopefully it'll be a lot of fun for people to listen. Yeah, guys, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, make sure you, you get it so it downloads to your phone every week when we update it. And in the next couple of episodes, we're going to provide email addresses and contact info that you guys can use to send us questions. Right now, you can reach me on, on Instagram. You go to bigrickrock.com. Uh, or you could go to rickyvrock.com, and that'll lead you to either Instagram or, or Facebook. And uh, we'll get going, man. We'll have plenty of different things. And just for clarity, guys, uh, our podcast is sponsored by acgenerate.com and n2guard.com. Those are the two main websites we're going to be promoted on the podcast every time we get on here. So uh, in closing, that's it for me. Uh, have a good one, Nelson. Have a good All one. Right. Guys. See you at the gym.